Hello everybody, it's James here and Storytime with Dutch Mantel, episode 16. We're going to do a few plugs first, of course. New YouTube channel, Storytime with Dutch Mantel. That is the most important thing that you need to know. Uh, we're no longer on WSI, please subscribe to the other one. Don't unsubscribe to the WSI. I'm really struggling with this already, but I'm going to carry on. Plugging books, <laughs> uh, mine, The Rock, uh, People's Champion on Amazon, Owen Hart, King of Pranks, and of course, The World According to Dutch. And, of course, Tales from a Dirt Road, both from Dutch Mantel, and you can get them all from Amazon. Uh, unless you want them signed, then you can get them from Dutch himself. Yeah, directly. Just email me at dirtydutchmantel with two L's at gmail.com and tell me what you want, and I'll get right back to you. There you go. Or uh, maybe, maybe, maybe not right back to you, but within a day. Yeah. You caught me on a good move uh, on a good day, James. I'm I'm in a talkative mood today. Of course, I just came off my cocaine high last night. No, not really, not really. And, <laughs> and I switched the heroin, but no, I didn't do that either. But uh, you sent me a list this morning of things you wanted to talk about, and we have a lot to talk about today. So let's get all this in. Folks, don't go away because we got a great show lined up for you. Yeah, we've got uh, two great shows lined up as well because we've got a ton of questions for the next one as well. But first things first. And in fact, just before I mention this, uh, before I mention the first question, uh, iTunes, if you've got iTunes, you're getting this podcast on iTunes, please, please give us five stars. You cannot break the five-star rating system like Dave Meltzer, but five stars will do us just fine. And the <laughs> uh, Hey, I'm going to tell, tell Dave you said that. You can't. You're blocked by him. Uh, oh, I am blocked by him. How did you know that? I told you. Yeah, you've told us. Yeah, well, he he blocked me like two years ago. Broken hearted over it? Man, took me uh, almost 60 seconds to get over it. Man. But, you know, when you get blocked by Melcher, I guess that's some kind of a, a tribute to you because I, I asked him a question and he couldn't answer and instead of being embarrassed, he just blocked me, which is, he just ran away from it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's my MO as well, I suppose. Um, you've returned from New Jersey. Uh, you had a couple of shows in the weekend. Did you run into anybody uh, we should know about? Any good stories? Well, uh, I ran into Victoria, mm. and she come up. I walked in the lobby of the, of the hotel, and I heard a voice, a woman's voice said, catch. And I'm thinking, Oh my God, I did something. Or do I owe this person money? Cause I didn't recognize the voice and it was Victoria and she's always bubbly. And I've always loved her. She's always so, so up and high. And she hugged me and give me a kiss said she'd miss me. And she was at the convention and she's always great to be around. I met, uh, Kevin Nash was there, said hello to him. I made many, many a trip with Kevin, and I was rushing back to the airport so I wouldn't miss the flight. Uh, Scott Steiner, he was there. Uh, right next to me was uh, Luke, Bushwhacker Luke. He mm -hmm. was right next to me. Hey, I, I met a lady, a girl, wrestler, that I have never met before, and I kept looking at her, and she looked familiar so finally me, I said, who is that? I asked somebody next to me, which was Virgil. <laughs> Hell, Virgil, Virgil didn't know either. So we had to ask somebody else, but it was a Jamie hater from AEW. 
and she was very nice. And then Enzo came in there. He was right next to me. And hey, I, I love to make these conventions because, you know, you have all those people around you that you've known before. But I, to me, what excites me about it are the fans because they're all different and they all come up with a different story. And it's very interesting to listen to. See, I was there maybe three hours, maybe a little longer, but the time flies by because the people come by and say, hey, do you remember so-and-so and so-and-so? Which I don't, but I always say, oh, yeah, man, how could I forget that, you know? And they're very nice, and, and I was signing my books for them and my photos, and, you know, I sign them however they want me to sign them because it's theirs to put on their wall. And uh, I really, really enjoy making fan conventions because it's as much fun for me, I think, personally speaking, and it is for the fans. And if you're a fan, you're walking down there and you see Kevin Nash here and Scott Steiner and Dirty Dutch and Bush uh, Whacker Luke and there's Enzo and there's Jamie Hayter. And, I mean, that's a nice little trip down the aisle way. And if, if, if you want to stop and talk, you can stop and talk. If you don't buy anything, that's okay too, because you're there to have a good time. And those, those wrestle cons, I guess you can call them that they do very well. And I enjoy making them. So no great stories other than I almost missed, I almost missed the flight on the way back. You ever been through Newark? JFK. That's it. Oh, don't go to Newark. Oh, my God. It's like the third world of airports. <laughs> so it's dirty and, oh, it's, it's, it, it's actually for New York City. I think it sits on the edge of Brooklyn, I think. I don't know. Because New York area gets me confused. But it is, and it's small. I mean, you get some people in there and you can't hardly move around. But it was uh, – no big things happen. I got back on time because I was reading that a lot of air uh, airlines had canceled flights because of the pandemic had screwed them up or something. But my flights were on time. That's why I thought I was actually going to miss it because I was on time or maybe an hour ahead. They advise you to get there two hours ahead, which, but I found a way to get through faster. You know, if you got a bad leg, you can always ask for assistance and they get you through a lot faster. Mm. So you could actually do this now. How is your leg, by the way? Uh, just about walking. Uh, I, I, I said this to you before. I, like, I'm just about walking without crutches, but I, I'm doing that walk where I look like I've shit myself constantly. You know, that sort of hobbly thing constantly. But yeah, no, I'm uh, improving. Surgery is probably going to be like late November. But they won't do the surgery on me until um, I get full flexion in my leg. Because whatever flexion you've got, like you've, like you've actually got to go to the doctors and uh, sort of sit on your knees. And then, sorry, uh, get down your knees and then sit on your heels of your feet uh, yeah. to prove that you've got full flexion. Because whatever you have before surgery is what you're stuck with after surgery for life. So that's why it's so longer drawn out process this uh, I've, uh for people who don't know i've torn my acl i've sprained my mcl and i've torn my meniscus but minorly enough that i won't have to have that taken out so that's mm. something well take care of yourself i will do anyway, 
New Jersey was rather uneventful other than it was long. I mean, when I got there, I went to work. As soon as I got there and I worked, I went up on a Friday. I worked all day Friday, Saturday morning, starting at eight o'clock, had to be at the event, uh, the, the venue at 10, worked at 10 to four or three 30, then to the airport. And then I got back in about one o'clock in the morning. I've got a I've got a, a tip for you, uh, but you probably know it is another way to get through security is to turn up really late, and then they'll go uh, uh, calling passengers for three five four blah, 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 you know whatever, and then you go that's me, and then you've two hours behind them, th- and you get walk straight to the front, get straight through to the sec- you know through the security gate and straight to the plane. I mean I've turned up to airports half an hour before the flight and been rushed straight through. Never mm, miss one. I didn't I didn't know that, but I don't I don't trust it. Believe me. Oh, no, you're flying by the seat of your pants in that kind of game. But, uh, it, you know, I'd rather, instead of sitting for an hour and a half, you know, in the Starbucks waiting for your flight to be called, you know, I'd, I'd rather take the risk. Well, I was doing this and I was thinking to myself, this is while I was actively wrestling. I used to do this every day almost. I would do it five days a week, show up at the airport and you go somewhere, you show up at another airport, then you go to the show. Then as soon as you get into the show, you go back to the hotel. Then you either go to the next town or you go back to the airport. But I'm thinking, I used to do this every day. No wonder I'm beat up. Just the flying and traveling alone is enough to wear you out. Mm. So, but And I'm thinking, I wonder, could I still do this today? And the answer is no, I, I, I couldn't do it. No, I, I mean, I could do it, but I, I don't. I, I would quit probably. Yeah, I, I imagine a lot of wrestlers get um, almost like maybe not institutionalized, but like the body sort of like chemistry changes somehow to not get so exhausted being on flights all the time. Because when I fly, it's such a draining experience. So how people do it four times a week, I'll never know. Uh, well, you do it if you have to. It's like one of those things that that's the life you chose. And so that's the, the rules you play by. Like I've been to, I've been to, I've been to London. Have I ever seen the London bridge? No. Have I ever seen big Ben? No. I've seen the inside of the, what's the arena there called? O arena. Oh, the O2. The O2. I've seen the inside of that. And I've seen the airport. I've seen, what's the name of the airport? Oh, there's three of them. Uh, and I can't remember any of them. <laughs> I, I, I keep well, wanting you, I, to not say LaGuardia. Uh, it begins with a H. I can't remember. Gatwick's one of them. Well, I've, I've seen probably the insides of all of them. And you go to, I go to Germany. I never saw anything in Germany much other than a hotel and a, uh, an Autobahn, saw that, and the inside of an arena. The only thing I saw in Paris, I did see, I swear, I made Jack, Jack Swagger get up and go with me. I said, we're going to see the Eiffel Tower. And when I said Eiffel Tower, he said, oh, yeah, well, let's go. Because usually we just play around in our rooms all day long to time for the show and not go. But I did see the Eiffel Tower, took a picture of it up close. That's it. Did I go up in it? No, because I was I had to get to the show. So anyway, Ask me some questions. Let's start talking. I will do. Uh, just one more thing about the Eiffel Tower. You know that was built as a temporary structure in the 1800s. I didn't and know it's that. it's still there. 
There you go. Uh, I will uh, move on then, and we're going to get to our first piece of news. And firstly, it's a temporary best. structure for what? Well, do you know what? I think off the top of my head, it was like some World's Fair, and it was meant to be some spectacular temporary structure that was meant to be taken and, down in a year or two. And they kept it. Well, they just thought they'd just leave it there. I mean, a, hey, they bought Lady Liberty statue too. I mean, they made that. You know, the Statue of Liberty? Mm-hmm. They made that for the United States for as a gift. You didn't know that, did you? No, I didn't. Well, now, you know, see, this is educational. Not only are we talking about wrestling, we're talking about a bunch of other crap. It has nothing to do with <laughs> nothing, but it's interesting. All right, so let's get into the questions here. Yeah, uh, best wishes. Oh, the to news. Bo- uh, well, Bobby Fulton, uh, ill uh, again uh, with double pneumonia and let me have a look, yeah, and sepsis as well. I think he's on the road to recovery now, but thought we'd give a bit of a shout-out to Bobby, because I was meant to interview him as well, and then he fell ill, but I'll be interviewing uh, interviewing him soon. Bobby Fulton, great guy. I've known him a long time. Funny as hell. And uh, But he's been sick a lot this year. Mm. I mean, seriously sick. And he's had, I don't know, what, a couple of surgeries already? But he's still kicking. He's a tough son of a gun. So, Bobby, if you're listening or if anybody knows Bobby, uh, you can send him my well wishes. And I text him every now and then. But, see, my news from Bobby comes mostly from what he, what he puts on Twitter. I mean, I'm like, I get my news exactly the way a lot of fans get their news. And when he posts it and said he's been back in the hospital, and I know he's been there several times this year, but he's still kicking. And Bobby, I love you, brother. So uh, we need to talk one day. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I mean, hopefully, I don't think he's got any internet or anything. So hopefully, when I get him, uh, maybe we could do that as a uh, story time episode instead of one on the other channel. So maybe that might be a nice okay. idea. Well, we could tell that Houston story when I bullwhipped him, <laughs> when he picked up my bullwhip and beat this crap with me. Uh, you, me. You've told this story on this show, but you uh, also said that he tells the story a lot better, so we'll need to get his side of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll move he on. He does tell it better. Uh, we'll uh, we'll move on then. And um, I was going to ask some more stuff about the Fantastics. We'll probably end up saving that for another show. Uh, let's talk about this past Monday's Raw and the huge news that came out of it is Riddle got his first name back. He's Matt again. That means a lot. That means that that's one of the first rules that they're uh, rejecting from Vince. And I never understood, and I'm not the only one, but I'm not the only wrestler who ever understood, like, why do you got to call me this when my name is this, when I'm known as something else? Like Cesaro, what was his name before? He was Antonio Cesaro. And that was, they said it was too long. It was too long, I guess, to put on a a graph or a poster or a font. It was, but I, what happened to those first names? But Matt Riddle getting the name back, I think, was it, it told so much and so little. It was just a, and people that noticed it noticed it. The people that didn't, they didn't know. But I'm I'm glad they did that. Well, the thing is, is with his, I mean, he made his name outside of WWE, so I don't know why they'd have to, you know, he made his name in UFC. 
So why then have to change his name when everyone knows that's his name to begin, to begin with? Well, I think it has to do with copyrights or ownership of the name or, or whatever. See, my name was Dutch Mantel, Dirty Dutch. But the, but the WWE, they didn't want that name because I already had a prior claim to it. I guess a grandfather claim, I guess. But they couldn't use it without my approval or some, some, some money being exchanged. So they said, well, probably the best thing to do is just give them a new name. So well, they give me a biblical name, which I had heard zero about before, Zebekiah. I guess he's in the Bible. I guess I never, I never looked it up. But they gave me that name just and as an uncle because of the two guys, Ron and Don Harris, that I was managing. And that's so they could own the name. So now I cannot, I cannot use Uncle Zeb. I actually can't use uh, Zeb Coulter either because they have ownership rights over it. But, I mean, I can – if you buy a book, I'll sign it, Dirty Dutch Mantel, a.k.a. You can, you can do that, also known as Zeb Coulter, We the People. But they can't own We the People. I checked that out because that's in the Constitution. Everybody owns it. Anybody can write We the People. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, uh, for everybody at home as well, I got a boxed or little uh, Zeb Coulter doll uh, still in the packaging to leave in the, uh, to leave in the corner, so I'm representing you on all podcasts uh, now. Oh, great. Uh, I will... Well, actually, I mean, that was sort of like the joke start off of the news, but the real news for you was that they were doing on Raw this past Monday something that you've been advocating for for months on this show and probably elsewhere as well. Oh, yeah. They finally told a story. Thank God they told a story. And I've told you this before. If you're walking down the street and you come to the corner and you look down to your left, about halfway down the block, there's a fight going on. And you will watch it until somebody breaks it up or one runs off or the fight stops and then they disappear or whatever. Then you walk down the street and you get about halfway down that next block and you go, damn, I wonder what that, that was about. That's telling a story. Now, if you knew what it was about, it'd be a lot more interesting, but that's what WWE told you. They told you because one of them had said something about the other's wife or the marriage or something and, pissed him off. Then they ran across each other by happenstance, but I loved it. They were in a parking lot and one saw the other. Hey, I want to talk to you or whatever they said. They was too far away. Uh, and then they started fighting. And then all of a sudden you see some people, a couple of referees and two guys in suits. Jamie Noble was one of them mm -hmm. rushing out in the parking lot, breaking this fight up, which is what I've been advocating. Tell a story. They did more with that little clip there, then they could have done in 10 weeks in the studio because now you know what the fight is about. Now the story has life. That's what they're fighting over. It's a personal issue. And I've always heard in wrestling that if you want it to draw, you have to make it personal because if it's personal to one of the wrestlers, it's going to be personal to the fans so it will be personal to Matt Riddle fans. See, I'm already calling them by two names. It, it'll be personal to Matt Riddle fans, and it'll be uh, personal to Seth Rollins fans. 
and we both know they're married. And of course, Matt Riddle had, well, I don't know if Matt, Matt's married, but he had some, a little bit of, uh, damage control he had to do maybe a year ago with his former I think girlfriend. he's divorcing now, yeah, or, or divorced. Well, but at least you know that. And he's not the only person who ever got divorced. Nobody will hold that against him. But his little damage control was he was supposed to be controlling or abusive or whatever. But people hear that so much now. You know, abusive is is uh, is, is according to the to the amount of abuse and you can be forgiven for that or it's none of my business or, but now we know these guys, you know, if you get into an argument with somebody in real life, if you really want to hurt them, go personal. I mean, go right at them. And then everybody else either knows about it or when you go personal with it, that are going to know about it, which adds more heat to the fire. And I loved it because now they have a story they can base on. And you know what they can do? They can go back and use that as a starting point. And in six months from now, well, let's just show you how this all started. And they show that. Then it goes to here. Then it goes to there. Then you come up to present time. And that's a way of catching people up that have missed it. And it, it catches them right up to what where they are right now. I love it. That's the way you tell stories. In Memphis, we used to do that like every two or three weeks. We would start it. We would have parking lot fights and dressing room fights or telephone calls or this, that, behind the scenes that, you know, you're not supposed to see. But – Anyway, I've been calling for that and calling for that and calling for that. Finally, somebody heard me. And it, it's, not, it's, it's not rocket science. It's what we used to do. But with Vince in charge of WWE and the writers, they knew nothing of wrestling history, but Triple H does. And Triple H remembered how to do these things. Now he's got, uh, he's got Road Dog with him. And now you got two old school guys that are helping out creative and they have a lot of enthusiasm for it. And I think the WWE product will only get better from, from here on out. I think there's something interesting to be said about the video. I, I watched one of the uh, car, you say parking lot, I say car park, uh, car park brawl outside the arena. And it was only 16 seconds long and not one punch was landed. Mm -hmm. I think that's very interesting. But you knew there was a problem. And less is more. I've been reading about Triple H, and, and he's been saying less is more. But now, this is what I've said. Let the fans' imagination take over. So when they go at it, there's going to be no suits to pull them apart, no referees to pull them apart. Let them go. Let them have at each other and, and see who comes out on top. To me, if I, was, if I was in WWE, of course, I've been in the wrestling profession, I would be curious to watch the matches they have because now they have more fire, or more wood to burn, more, more gasoline to burn, and I would like to sit back and see how the fans take this because if I enjoy it, I know the fans will enjoy it. 
Uh, and it's, I've always said this too. A 10-year-old kid can understand this. A 10-year-old kid sitting back said, oh, he said something about his wife. Oh, my. But he understands it. But if it was some other trying to link something together and figure something out, and you don't want to think about it that much. Just give it to me. Slap me in the face with it. Let's go. And that's what they did. Didn't Jerry Jarrett have some sort of sign in his office, something to the effect of personal issues draw money or something like no, that? No, that's where it's from. That's that's where I got the term. Hmm. Personal issues draw money. And, and, it's, and he has been proven right time and time and time again. And Bill Watts, he did the same thing, Old Time Booker. He did the same thing. Ole Anderson, Old Time Booker. He did the same thing. George Scott, same thing. Dusty Rhodes, Eddie Graham did the same thing. All the old-time bookers knew that. They may not have used the terms uh, personal issues draw, but that's what it boiled down to. They were doing the same, uh, the same plan, the same blueprint all the way through. So if I can make something personal with you over nothing, it can be over nothing, really. It could be, where did you put the car keys? Well, I don't know. You had no idea. And, you know, that could start it. Maybe not to this degree, but the parking lot, and you call it a car lot? A uh, car park. Oh, a car park. Okay. That is totally <laughs> different. So, but, and that just, that just sealed it. Now, if these two guys are hot enough to get in a fight in a parking lot, I mean, that's enough for me. And I think it's enough for the fans, too. I think this, uh, I think this program is going to, and we call it a program. You know, you can call it an angle. You can call it the inside talk. is a program which it could actually run on its own without any help from the outside. They have it. They've centralized it. Now it's a program. And I think it'll do very well. Absolutely. We will go from WWE, who are prospering not only financially, but creatively at the moment as well. And we're going to AEW, which seems to be going the exact wrong way as far as momentum goes. Uh, reportedly, AEW locker room discontent. And I thought I'd mention this, is that I remember three years ago when AEW started, that it was put out there that it was, you know, harmonious utopia of a wrestler-friendly company and Tony Khan's a wrestling fan and and uh, four of the major wrestlers, Young Bucks, Kenny Omega and Cody Rhodes, are going to be the vice presidents or whatever they were calling themselves at the time and it was going to be the perfect way to run a wrestling company. And yeah. we're three years later and there is reportedly quite a lot of unhappiness Maybe when it comes more to the top stars from the, but maybe from the bottom stars as well, because they've got so many people on their roster that not everybody's going to get the TV time they want as well. But you've read what I've read: AW discontent in the locker room. Well, CM Punk is a heat magnet. He doesn't give a crap to start off with, and he's using the same formula as social media influencers do they're looking for that clickbait now cm punk i don't care what you think of him or regard him he's a smart guy and whether he did this on purpose or out of pure vengeance who knows but apparently he did an interview uh roasting hangman page 
where he knew that Paige was not supposed to answer or that Paige was in catering or not even in the building. And he did an interview. He roasted Paige and Paige didn't answer. And he called him a coward, called him a cowboy coward too on top of that. And a lot of people jumped on him. But, and then he turned around, this is, and lost to Moxley, which I thought was tremendous. And I think what CM Punk said about uh, Hangman Page, and we just, got, we just got through talking about make it personal. Well, that's what Page uh, Punk did. He made it personal. Whether he did it on his own or not doesn't matter. Now, because the fans said, oh, he shouldn't have said that, man, because Paige wasn't supposed to come out there. And what's Paige? He made Paige look like crap. Exactly. That was the intent of it, is to make him look like a, a piece of, I don't want to get crude here, but a piece of dirt because he didn't come out and answer. So, And now everybody is waiting for Hangman's answer. I think he's already given the answer, but... That was that was a good story. Page is a heat magnet. I mean, uh, Punk is a heat magnet. Knew exactly what he was doing, and I think he, even though he's hurt now, more people talking about him now than before when he had the belt. Now, what I said was, even when Moxley beat Punk, they closed one door, but now there's two opened up, big ones. One with Mox and one with Paige. So Punk made himself indispensable, and they didn't even know what he was doing. Now, whether they told him to say it, I doubt it. Because I don't think, I think Tony Khan is not stupid. I think he knows. And I think, but I think he's happy on what has opened up to him. That, That gave him, as a booker, more room to move in. And that's what you look as look for as a booker. You want that room to expand. If it's a narrow little doorway you got to get in, hard to hit that doorway. I mean, so all fans, but all fans understood this. I mean, the doorway is open, and I think AEW actually, they worked themselves into a shoot back into a work. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You know, because you mentioned Tony Khan, and this really got my goat is that Tony Khan, I think he goes on Busted Open Radio every Wednesday and he goes straight on there as the owner and booker and goes, oh, that wasn't planned. You know, oh, you know, we've, to- we've talked and this is real and he said things that were unauthorized. It's like, shut up, Tony. Why don't you just leave a bit of like mystery and then it would have got the fans even more excited. Well, I agree. I would agree with that too. I mean, you can just tell people too much. I mean, they know enough already. They know that it's, it's, it's planned, it's, it's scripted. They know all that. But that interview may not have been scripted. That's what they're complaining about, that, oh, Tony Khan didn't tell him to say this, or no writer told him to say that. He said it on his own. That's called, in the business, going into business for yourself. That's what it's called. So... Here's another thing I want to bring up. You know, they have the AEW botches. And if you're not following it on Twitter, I suggest you follow it because they have all these misses and people almost dying. And I put on Twitter 
not too long ago, which is Dirty D Mantel on Twitter, if you want to follow me. But I put on there, I don't know why anybody hasn't been seriously injured. Seriously injured. Either somebody breaking their neck. And I think there's been a few, or maybe a broken leg or two. But Con Tony went on an interview and says they're not trained. Did you see that? No, I didn't. They're, they're not trained in like a center like uh, WWE performers are. They don't have a performance center. So they take what they get and put them in the ring. But that may come back to haunt him in the end if somebody does get seriously injured. Where, where, where are these people trained? And you're saying they're not trained, but yet you're putting them in the ring and somebody got hurt. That's, uh, I think there's room there for a big lawsuit because I don't think he should have said that. He can say all the other stuff like, oh, well, that wasn't planned or this, that, and the other. But to say that these performers that are doing these bad moves in the ring aren't trained to do that move and he admits it on an interview. I hope that's not the case, but you have to be very careful because that stuff does not go away. I um, saw the first clip of that video that you posted and it's a guy taking a German suplex and he lands so high up on his head. And then when he lands his neck, his, his face is, his forehead's practically touching his chest. And I tapped out after that because I've got a really weak stomach for injuries and that kind of thing. But it's just just take, I'm not a wrestler, I hate to use the lingo, but just take a flat bat bump. It's going to be no less impressive if you do it one way or the other, except that you'll survive one way and you won't the other if you do it enough times. Let me ask you something. Did you see Sid Vicious about 20 years ago? He jumped off the top rope and his leg, leg like went boop. Yes, and I Did wish I'd see never it? seen it. John Laurinaitis apparently suggested that particular spot, you know. That's why he won $3 million mm. from WCW. He kept telling them, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And they said, yeah, yeah, do it, do it, do it. And I don't know. I'm sure he didn't plan to do that. But when that broke, it looked so bad. After he told them, he didn't want to do it, but they made him do it, and he broke his leg. And that's why Sid doesn't have to work for the rest of his life. Now, he had to break his leg to do it, but that's what I'm talking about. He ended up suing him and won. And this is what I'm afraid is going to happen to. And t- Tony has insurance. I got all that. But when you have a claim or two come in, those insurance companies are going to start looking at him and either refuse to insure him or it's going to cost him a lot more for him to insure that much. Because by the things I've just seen on, on just, what's it? Uh, AEW what botches. AEW botches, I'm sorry. But just by the things I've seen there, I mean, that's enough to get sued on. You know, the neck is a hard thing to tell about, or the back. They can take all these x-rays or scans or whatever. But still, you just saying you have pain, and it has to come from there because you didn't didn't feel it before that move, 
they got to take that at almost face value. And there would be some money changing hands, not Tony's money, but the insurance company's money will go to pay that person. Well, that's what happened with the Lloyds of London insurance policies, didn't they? It's all of a sudden a lot of very famous, very high-profile wrestlers all got back injuries. Imagine that. Imagine that, a wrestler doing a scam. I'll be damned. <laughs> Unheard of. We'll, uh, we'll move on. Uh, do you know, I'd like to get your opinion on that at some point. Uh, I'll come back to that uh, at a later date. But this sort of relates. Billy Gunn quotes. He was on some podcast called The Sessions. Uh, I asked Talent as their coach, uh, if for people who don't know, he's an AEW uh, agent, uh, if they want to do this for a long time like me or if they only want to do it for a couple of years because your body can't take going out there and trying to have a main event uh, WrestleMania-style five-star match every single time. They're killing themselves instead of setting a pace and taking it easy in certain situations that call for it. They'll do that on dark, and it's nothing against dark or elevation shows, but those are secondary shows. Even when you're on Dynamite and Rampage, that doesn't mean you have to unload everything you have in seven minutes. Sometimes more is less. And with the way wrestling is these days, fans will forget about a match that's just move, move, move in a heartbeat. But if you slow down, tell a story, then in the last match of the feud, go out there and have a great match. It not only saves your body, but it helps your longevity in the business on so many levels. Absolutely 100% true. But that's from a veteran talking. See, a lot of these young guys, they'll they're hear that, say, nah, yeah, well, he's, he's older. He, He's almost a boomer. So they don't listen to it. I heard that same thing when I was coming on way before. I mean, these big, big moves came into being. I heard the same thing. Slow down. This is the word pace yourself and tell the story. But see, they're so busy trying to get in their next move. And the move is beautiful. I agree. But if you're looking at it, I was watching this, some clip the other day. This guy was on the outside, and the guy was getting up in the middle of the ring. He did a forward roll in and then went into the clothesline. How does the forward roll help the clothesline? <laughs> I mean, you're going to end up at the same spot and actually getting up where he landed, and then, I mean, just going in and hitting him with the clothesline would have been sufficient, but they want to – and a roll was nothing. That's – I mean, that's not even, it's just an added move to add something to something that doesn't need to be added to. I don't, I don't get that because they all, all kind of like, you're going to do a backflip on the guy. Why won't you just cover him? You do the backflip. See the, a lot of things are not needed, but it takes energy. And these young guys have energy, but they need to control the energy, tell the story. And what I'd say, if a guy's, what they need to do is sell more. Sell more what the guy has done to them. There was an old-time wrestler, and a lot of fans listening to this, they may know who I'm talking about. His name was Johnny Valentine. He would put you to sleep sometimes. And it took his match 10 minutes, 15 minutes to get rolling. But that's when wrestling fans would sit out there like this and watch you. They'd watch every move. They'd watch your eyes. They'd watch your hands. And it was very slow going. And when he hit somebody, the whole arena heard it because he came with those big forearms right across the chest. 
him and Wahoo McDaniel and Flair, they were known for literally beating the crap out of each other. Valentine was a big guy. He's about 6'5". He's about 250, 260 maybe. And him and him and Wahoo would go in there. And I swear, when the match was over, after about 40 minutes, 40 minutes was actually a short match for him. He'd always go after 40 minutes. I don't care. He was he might be in a little B town. See, I grew up in the Carolina, so a B town would be Anderson, South Carolina. He'd go there and do 40 minutes for this crowd. Well, the crowd appreciated it because they weren't used to these main event style matches like Valentine. And when I say main event, he gave a main event match every night because his style did not change. He always paced himself. And he always had a saying, people might think wrestling's fake, but they'll know one thing I'm not, which was great for him. And Johnny Valentine, when you left that arena, you said, damn, they literally beat the crap out of each other. And Wahoo, Wahoo wasn't shy with those chops either. He would light Valentine up, and when he left, he'd have all those marks across his chest. So would Wahoo. But that's the way they wanted it because they, basically they knew that nobody else in the, in the company could take it from Valentine. Wahoo said, I can take it. And he took it. And what great matches they had. And Flair, I think he was uh, – George Scott got him. He was the booker. George Scott and, – and Flair was watching all this. He was sitting back, going to school – by working in the company and watching these two masters in the ring. Now, when you want to know a master back in those days, you looked at who left from each territory to get booked in St. Louis. St. Louis was what I call an outs, an outlier. St. Louis didn't really have a territory, but he would take from Texas. He would book from guys from Texas and he'd book guys from the Carolinas, guys from Florida, guys from Minnesota. So what you were seeing in St. Louis every two weeks was an all-star team like Bruiser Brody, Wahoo, those type guys, Abdullah, and which I, I, I like that kind of booking because you're not, you're not constricted. You really could get what you wanted, but the Valentine was a favorite of theirs and I don't even know what I started off talking about, but they had great matches. They paced themselves and, and the thing about Wahoo and uh, uh, Valentine, they drew money. They sold tickets, which back in the old days is what you had to go on. We didn't have social media. We didn't have TV contracts. We didn't sell merchandise. The only way you can make money is to sell those tickets. And they sold a lot of them. Absolutely. Um, speaking of selling tickets, this is one more point I want, wanted to get to on a previous question, is with Adam Page, with old school sensibilities, how would you advise him uh, to sort of save face in this situation after not coming out when CM Punk called him out? Well, I don't think any explanation is necessary. But hasn't he already confronted, confronted uh, Punk? Confronted I, Punk? I, I don't know. I wish I did. All he's got to do is go in there and cut a, a, a blazing hot interview on Punk and then slap the crap out of him, and he's saved. 
That's all he's got to do. And tell the truth. He says, you did that interview knowing I wasn't in the building. What am I going to do? Levitate myself back into this ring? How would I know you were doing it? And so you talk about being a coward. That's being a coward. Saying about it when I'm not, well, I'm here now. Say it now. Why don't you say it now? And keep saying, well, say it now. Say it now. And then slap the crap out of him. Pull him apart. It's saved. That's all I want to see. It's a guy have, have, have balls. And to stand up to him, I'm not afraid of you. I'll fight you back. That's all the people want to hear is I'll fight you back. Whether you can win or not, don't matter. People respect guts. They respect a guy that will stand up for himself. And he's already went up against Punk, so they're fairly matched. And I think this is a big, big deal. Whether Tony, Tony may have worked all of us. He may have had it set up to work this way. But then Punk ends up turning heel. Now it all makes sense. So I don't think Tony can lose on this one. Speaking of uh, heated rivalry about something that was not cleared with somebody else, recently Sammy Guevara revealed that Eddie Kingston was recently suspended for attempting to pie-face Sammy after he called Eddie fat on a promo. Eddie never told Sammy not to call him fat beforehand, and it's not like other people haven't called him names in interviews already. Um, so, yeah, that's well, a massive overreaction. Well, maybe. Well, I, got, I hadn't heard all of it. But but was he called him fat on an interview without any, any anybody telling him to? So the um, the the actual setup is is that prior to these interviews, you tell uh, your the person who you're going to be uh, cutting a promo on. This is what I don't want you to mention on the interview. And Eddie Kingston never said, "Don't call me fat." So Sammy Guevara called well, him fat. I don't think I don't even think Eddie told him not to call me fat because nobody's called him fat. So why would he even be thinking of it? They may have, but from what I understand, he punched him in the locker room, right? I believe it's not even that. I believe he attempted to pie face him, and he didn't even get get that. Who who was going to pie face who? Eddie Kingston was going to pie face Sammy Guevara on an interview. No, this was in the back. In the, okay, well, Eddie, I don't know him that well. I like Eddie because. He loves wrestling. And so he's a little chunky. Who cares? You know what I'm saying? It is a visual sport. I got that. But that's not his gimmick. His gimmick, Eddie Kingston, he's a street fighter. How many street fighters you you know walking around looking like Schwarzenegger? I mean, that's years ago, but a bodybuilder. Not many street fighters are just that. They fight on the street and they're tough. So now he legitimately slapped Sammy Guevara, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, maybe he shouldn't have done that, and he shouldn't have done that. But I think it showed that he was he was he's really serious in what he does. So if you say something on an interview, be prepared to defend it if I come to you later. Which is that's going that will cause problems. I, I know. But he shouldn't have called him fat, and he could have, but 
you know, I think now that Eddie Kingston has to come back on some kind of interview and tell him, well, he needs to eat some sandwiches. I think he can make a joke out of it and have, you know, more fat people than skinny people, believe me. So I think a lot of people, they uh, represent through Eddie what they are. They may not have a great body, but they'll fight you. And again, that is having guts, having balls. And but then again, now we get to the deal. Well, what if somebody else had called him fat? What if one of those, they don't have any Samoans at AEW, but Warlow, what if, maybe. Well, what if Wardlow had called him fat? Would he go up and punch him? That's what I'm saying. I think also Eddie knew that Sammy couldn't beat up a paper bag. So he was okay in punching him, which I kind of hold that against him. But anyway, it's it's one of those things that uh, I think we can learn something from it. I think Eddie Kahn can learn something from it. And if and if uh, Eddie's not careful, they could actually use that in an angle to make him mad. And said, yeah, what Sammy Guerrero said about you, man, you are fat. Oh, my God, he called me fat. And here they go. So you have to use what the fans are used to to get things going. So, But I, I think it's like anything else. It's, it's one of those locker room misunderstandings that – it becomes just, it just goes into the, the, the lore of wrestling, the lore of wrestling and the wrestling book. It just goes in there and this may be a page and that's it. Is the suspension just too harsh for this kind of thing? Because I just think of uh, the stories of uh, territories and, you know, wrestling skirmishes in the past. And basically you have a fight and then you just get over it immediately because you've got to work together. But all yeah. suspending him for a couple of weeks or whatever seems a bit over the top. I do. I really do. I think <clears throat> suspending him for what? I mean, you're, but we just talked about uh, the discontent. I think the discontent in the AEW dressing room. And part of this can be laid at the, at the, at the foot of Tony Khan too. Maybe he's trying to gain control of that locker room. And this happened at the worst possible moment. And he said, screw this. I'll just suspend the guy and I'll send the message. Don't do that in my locker room. So, and he did it, suspended him. He's back now. So I don't know. There's a, a lot of different ways to ha handle it. And I think Tony Khan, we were just talking about him earlier, I think, trying to gain control of the locker room and maybe having a tough go at it. So this is one of the tests that he's going to have to go through. There's a, there's a saying in the uh, Premier League and in, in football clubs around when the manager loses control of the locker room uh, 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 and of, of the players. They basically lost control. And uh, it's something that happens quite often, apparently, when they lose respect. And then I don't know how it is in like the NFL or anything else, but managers in football over here, if they don't produce results within four matches, they're out. And then yeah. they lose the locker room and then they get the next person in. <clears throat> well, in football, I think it's going to take more than four games but when you lose, it's, when you lose the locker room, you lose respect. And when you lose respect, guys don't care. So if guys don't care, you might as well write that season off. You might as well can the coach because he's useless. And actually, if he's on the sideline, 
he does more harm than good because players respond to motivation, ambition, and respect. And unless that coach is giving it to them, you know, a lot of them, they don't, they don't care. Or they're being forced to, they're not throwing the ball to them enough. You got a lot of prima donnas in football. Talking about prima donnas, talk about wrestling. I mean, if you walk into a wrestling locker room and there's 25 guys there, you got 25 different egos that you're trying to not cross. The booker is. A lot of bookers don't care. And a lot of bookers, if they're smart, they'll call the guy and you said, Hey, I don't want, uh, if we're going to have any trouble, you might as well walk out that door right now. And that's probably the best thing to do because you're going to avoid not the booker ruining it, ru ruining his record of being a good booker. And who's in charge? I'm going to call the shots. Or are you going to call the shots? Now, if you have an idea, give it to me. But if you don't, I give you an idea. Tell me what you feel about it right away. And if you can convince me it's not the right thing to do, well, I'll change it. But you just saying, oh, I don't want to do that. That's not, that's not enough for me. So, but I think if you, uh, bookers have to be tough. Bookers get hired to get fired. And if you have a, a big name in there, like CM Punk, let's use him. He may tell, he may be telling uh, Tony what to do. And Tony may be saying, no, I'm just letting him help out. no. Tony, he's telling you what to do. It's basically what he's doing. And when the other guys hear this, you got uh, you got trouble. Absolutely. Um, we're going to move on then. And something I brought to your attention, Ariel Hawani came out with his list of the top 10 British wrestlers of Who? all time. Ariel Hawani, he is a uh, Who in MMA. the hell is he? Well, he's, he's quite a prominent MMA reporter. Oh, uh, oh those guys. Yeah, one of those fellas. Those marks. And uh, he... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I know who he is. Yeah, and um, he's come out with this list, which is the biggest pile of wank I've ever seen as a, of a list in the entire world as far as British wrestlers. And there are some great wrestlers on the list, but as far as the 10 greatest British wrestlers of all time, there's engendering debate, and then there's looking at a list and going, that is completely wrong. And I will tell you the list right now. Number one... I'll do it in 10. Uh, number 10... Big Daddy. Number nine, Nigel McGuinness. Number eight, Wade Barrett. Number seven, Paige. Number six, Lord what? Alfred Hayes. Number five, Fit Finlay. Four, Drew McIntyre. Three, Dynamite Kid. Number two, William Regal. And number one, Davey Boy Smith. Oh, I totally disagree. Totally. It's the list of the ten British Paige, wrestlers he's heard Paige, of. Yeah, that's it. Paige is number seven. Please. So you ask me what would be my top five. I came up with like a top 10 or 11 because mm -hmm. I'm going back a ways and I don't even follow British wrestling, but if you're just judging by what I'm reading or what I read years ago, I would put big daddy at number one. He's like the Hulk Hogan of British wrestling. I think. He was the symbol of it. Everybody knew him. Whether he was a good wrestler or not, I don't care. Hulk Hogan wasn't a good wrestler either. But everybody knew who Hulk Hogan was. And I'm sure, and, he, and you can testify to this, verify this, everybody knew Big Daddy. Yeah, yes? uh, yeah as far as Hulk Hogan goes, Big Daddy in this country uh, or in Britain was a bigger 
uh, household name celebrity than Hulk Hogan was in America. Absolutely really? hands down. Okay. So that so my choice for number one, you would agree with. Yeah, what's what's your criteria then? Are we just going on biggest draws? Are we going on most entertaining? Are we going on what are we going on? I'm going on what I know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you asked me, so th no, no, no. this is my opinion. I would go number two from what I've seen, Billy Robinson. Now I don't know how much money he drew, but in that ring, I mean, he was pure British wrestling in an American ring. And you could tell it too. His style was different. I would go a one that you missed. I don't know. Well, you may, you may have hit him. Adrian streets. You had him uh, on this list. No, he was a, uh, I don't know what he was. I think he was a, a, a name that didn't quite make his top 10 somehow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I would go Adrian street. Number three, fit Finley, number four. Mm-hmm. And I had another name, and you said it was the same guy, Shirley Crabtree, which was Big Daddy, That's right? That's Big Daddy, yeah. Okay, then I, I put him on here twice. Another one that people in the U.S. probably wouldn't know, but Giant Haystacks was huge. He was like Andre, wasn't he? Giant Haystacks? Yes. Now, I hadn't realized this, but Giant Haystacks, uh, it was heavily insinuated he was northern, well, I think he was, Northern Irish, or he was, or he was billed as maybe Northern Irish, and there was a sort of like a Protestant versus Catholic battle with Big Daddy or something like that. So, so what, someone else will will verify or tell me I'm wrong on that one. But yeah, it was like some sort well, of like let me say religious this. connotation at the back as well. I'm sure we we're, we're people that are listening are a lot of them are Americans, but speaking as an American, which I am, if you're from Ireland or England or Scotland or Wales, you're still an English wrestler. That's just what we, that's the way we look at it. If you come in with the accent, we don't, we're not saying, oh, are you from Scotland? But we're going to say, oh, are you from England? That's what we're thinking. So. Well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll qualify then. Uh, wrestler from the British Isles, because that includes okay. Ireland. All right. Uh, here's another one. Chris Adams. Mm -hmm. From Texas fame. And I think, I think, Texas was the only place he really ever worked for an extended period of time. Uh, Chris Adams was in WCW here and there, and so was Giant Haystacks very briefly as Loch Ness, who was managed by Kevin Sullivan. Really? I didn't know that. He was very briefly. Here's one, here's one that I didn't give you earlier when I talked to you. Kendo Nagasaki. Fine choice. But he was English? Yep. He's called Peter Thornley or something. He's, he released a book. He did. So I'm seeing the name Kendo Nagasaki, which is Oriental to me. Mm -hmm. But he was English. But he he was English. Yeah. William Regal was another one. Yes. Which he never got uh, his his due really. William Regal was a great talker and a great worker. And here's another one, uh, Dave Taylor. Very good. And a good guy. Really good guy. Mick McManus. Mm -hmm. And and here's one I gave you earlier that nobody will know, but he stretched me more times in a ring when I was first starting out than any other person. He was called Timothy Cohagen. 
I made him in Georgia for Georgia Championship Wrestling uh, a lifetime ago. And he had a deal to where anybody that he couldn't put to sleep, he'd give $1,000 to. Now, $1,000 back 40 years ago, that was a pretty good sum of money. And there's one guy that he couldn't put to sleep. He couldn't get the sleeper on him. So what they did, did he get the $1,000? No. You know what they had him do? They had him donate the $1,000 <laughs> to the retired wrestlers fund, <laughs> which there's no such thing. <laughs> and they trained him a little bit to get into wrestling. So I wrestled him and he was, oh, he was terrible. He was Hell, I'd wrestle Timothy Cohagen. I'd rather be stretched by him than work with the guy he, he couldn't put to sleep. Stiffer in hell, knocked the crap out of me. But and he was a good guy. He didn't mean to do it, but he just he just did. So those are my top ten British wrestlers from my list. And I worked with some of them, and some of them I didn't. But putting Paige at number seven, I don't know where where that came from. I that that's probably up from today. So, well, I don't know. I wouldn't put her there. I thought you would have mentioned John Foley. Well, I could put John Foley in there and Timothy Cohagen there. I actually dismissed Miss John. And he was a, and he's a name that a lot of people don't remember, but tough. And he was from a little town called Wigan. This is a little historical. I, I've covered Wigan before. That's where I used to hear, what is Wigan? I'm a, I'm a rookie, right? Hey, uh, man, what is Wigan? They went, what the hell? You don't know what Wigan is, you stupid bastard? I said, no. He said, that's where all the shooters came from. Because they must have had a gym there that just trained guys just to stretch people. And uh, Foley was one of them. I remember, I've been telling, I've been telling you about this guy, uh, Ron Fuller. You need to get him on the show. But he did a deal one time that he would line up four wrestlers. And he had Danny Hodge was in there. Uh, you didn't want to mess with him. But he would he would give $1,000 to anybody that could beat these guys. And he put Danny Hodge and another guy named Dale something who was an amateur wrestler. Another guy, they were all like big bulky guys with good bodies. And then he put John Foley in the lineup. And here's John, about 45 years old, standing at the, at the end of a line, smoking a cigarette. And he asked the guy, who do you want to wrestle? And he said, uh, I, wrestle, I wrestle the guy on the end. That was John. That was the worst choice he could have made. Because John would take him into the ring. And this is in front of a crowd. And John would just embarrass him, take him down. And remember, you asked me about the sugar hold. I did, yeah. He'd put the sugar on them, and they would scream. Folks, if you've never had a sugar hold put on you, study it. If you, you get anybody in this hold, they're not getting up. And before, you, they, if they don't want to say, I give up, just tug on that arm a little bit, and the shoulder comes out of the socket. Hard to believe that can happen in a wrestling match, but it can. He put it on me one time, excruciating pain. You, you'll yell. You'll say, I give up. I give up. I give up. Let me up. I mean, that's a kid's game. I, I, okay, I'm, I, I give up. Kids know that. But anyway, they would wrestle John, 
the worst looking one out of them, the worst in shape looking one out of them. But, but John didn't work in being in shape. He worked from knowledge. And he would take a guy, and the guy could be big, he could be strong, he could be big and sh- But John didn't go from whoa. When they locked up, that's when the guy started. John saved his energy, and then the guy would blow himself up, get tired on his own. John take him down, hook that arm, and pull back. He's done. Worked every time. I watched every match he had, and, man, he come back, and John said, hey, matey, uh, he's a little tough. He didn't look tough to me. Well, he was. <laughs> it's, it's funny, you know, you can excise uh, through Brazilian jiu-jitsu for quite a few years, and you could always tell someone who's just started because you get sort of in the guard or whatever it is, and the body's so tense. Yep. And as soon as that happens, you know you've got him. Yep. Because he blows himself up. You don't blow him up. And blowing up means he runs out of steam. He starts breathing heavy. He's nervous anyway. He's breathing heavy, and you just wait for that that go point and take him down. And once you take him down, now he's expending more energy that he doesn't have because he's already lost it, and he's done. He can just he can go ding ding ding. He can tap out right then, which is what a lot of them did if they were smart. Uh, this show's probably got maybe a couple more questions in it. I think before we uh, before we move on. And, hey, I've enjoyed uh, this show. Oh, it's been a great show. These shows get better and better. I'm sure. Surely you'll all agree, uh, listeners and viewers. <laughs> Um, one thing that I wanted to ask you and if you've got not got a good answer I know how we can segue out of it is uh, Jeff Jarrett has already gone from WWE he was like live events coordinator mm-hmm. and apparently a Bruce Pritchard hire do you know anything about why he was let go so quickly did we talk about this last week or no no okay Jeff Jarrett who I've known him since he was 14 He's got a good mind from the business. He's old school. And it surprised me when they hired him because he was a Vince hire and maybe a Bruce Pritchard hire too. But when Triple H took over, he looked over his team and that wasn't his hire. So if it's not his hire, it's from a previous administration then that raises red flags right there. And I don't think there's any heat between Triple H and Jeff. I don't think so. But I think that he wanted to put his team back in, on the field. And one of his teammates for years was Road Dog. And Road Dog got let go by Vance's administration. And I'm sure there's been a lot of telephone calls between the two and Road Dogg is saying, why? Why did I get let go? And which was a good question, why ever, what everybody was asking, too. Why did he let go? But I think Triple H, to get his friend back into the fold, because he trusts, he trusts Road Dogg. He's his, what can we say, confidant. Mm-hmm. And he knows a lot about the business. And he may have taught Triple H a lot about the business, but Triple H feels... Uh, well represented by having Road Dog on his team, and and who knows what happened? He, it could have been that he was looking for a job for Road Dog to get him back in. And like I said, I don't think there's any heat between Jeff 
and and Triple H that I know of. But Jeff, he knows how the game goes. You get, what what I said earlier today. You get hired <laughs> to get fired. And so when that comes around, I'm sure he didn't expect it. I didn't expect it. But Jeff didn't pitch a bitch and say, why, why? He said, well, thank you very much. And he went on. Because I think Jeff has enough irons in the fire. He can survive it anyway. You know he owns a minor league uh, baseball team. No, I didn't. You didn't know that? No. I don't know which one, but he owns one. Because Jerry Lawler put on his Twitter one day, he said, hey, I come here to sign, do this signing here. They found out that Jeff Jarrett owns the team. <laughs> but I had heard that, but but I think Jerry was the first one to uh, verify it. And he just did it on a Twitter. Now, whether that's true or not, uh, I don't know. But I, I, I do know that Jeff was very interested in arranging signings at some of these uh, minor league ballparks around the country. And one thing I've said about Jeff, he is a great salesman. I told him one day, I said, Jeff, you could sell a dying man a health club membership. <laughs> and he laughed because he can, because he's a good talker and he's very engaging and he's approachable and he's sociable. And, but I think he will come out of this fine. He has a house in Hendersonville, Tennessee, outside Nashville, where all the country music stars live. And I used to go to his house when we do creative for TNA. The house is huge. Sits right on a lake. And I think it was valued then at 750000 I think it's valued now at $3 million. It's got to be. Sits right on the lake. Beautiful house. Upstairs. He's, he's built an outside part. So... Jeff's done very well for himself, and I think getting released by WWE, I don't think it hurt him a bit. I think it may have helped him. So good luck to everybody. Good luck to Triple H. Good luck to Road Dog because he's got a lot of knowledge that he can put put in put to work. And Jeff, because you know, I think he'll be fine. Uh, I want to bring up two things actually. Uh, one, I, uh, I I didn't email him for this reason, but I messaged Road Dog and also uh, for another reason because I'd just done an interview with him, and I also said because it was the thing it was like the day after Vince McMahon had retired, and the first thing I said was, uh, "Well, I'll be seeing you in WWE in two weeks," and it pretty much mm -hmm. came exactly true. I couldn't believe I guessed that one right. And the other one is Jeff Jarrett has been the boss for so long. And I've been self-employed similarly for over a dozen years now. I mean, I can't imagine how unbelievably difficult it would be for me to get up again, do nine to five or whatever the hour office hours are, and go work for someone else again. So maybe that played a part in it as well. Well, he was traveling again. And he's a little older now. I think, I don't know how old Jeff is. Check, see how old Jeff is. Will do. He's like 54, 55. How old is he? He is. He was born in 67, so 55. 55. Okay. 55. And 55 is not a good age to get up and go, go traveling all over the country. He could do it. He's still in good shape. But this could have been one of the best, not the best thing that happened to him. But I don't think it hurts him at all. I really don't. Because I think... If something's not happening, he'll make it happen. And he, I think these last 10 years, since he, he left TNA, 
I think it's been very productive for him. Mm-hmm. I think more people know him now than knew him before. So, but good luck to him. Uh, I'll ask you two more, then we'll shut down the podcast. Edge teased after Raw went off the air, not this Monday just gone, but the Monday beforehand, and said that he thinks his run at nearly 50 years of age is coming to an end, and he would ideally like to retire next year in Toronto. Now, we know what you feel about uh, wrestlers coming out saying, I'm going to retire, but as far as Edge is concerned, he's had a lot of health issues. He's been very, very sporadic in his wrestling uh, do you think he means it? And uh, did you have much interaction with Edge at all, in fact? Very little. May have met him once or twice. But from what I hear, he's a straight, he's a straight shooter. And he knows he's getting ready to hang. He already hung the boots up once. What, 10 years ago? He got hurt, right? Yeah, I think he had a terrible neck injury. And they just said, you are never wrestling again. Mm-hmm. And I think he's probably serious about hanging it up. But he won't set one big last hurrah on the way out, especially in Canada. Is he from Montreal? I think uh, Toronto area. I think Toronto. Yeah. Okay. And he he wants that one big send off, and he'll, he'll be happy. And I think the Canadian fans will be happy to give it to him. They like it's an it's an event that one of their own has made it good in a professional league, and they'd like to say goodbye to him. It'll be a big deal. I mean, I'd watch it. I like to see stuff like that anyway. But I don't think he'll be like, you know, I've said this about Flair, to the next person that comes along with some money, you know, he'll have his last match again. I don't think we'll see Edge doing that. I think he's pretty much, he'll he'll stay true to his word, which I hope he does because let's don't do this Eagles thing all over again because, I mean, how many times can it be done? Well, I guess it can be done as many times as somebody wants to do it. And there's people to call him on it, but still, he's going to have it. So, Well, Kiss is still doing retirement tours 20 years later as well. Um, speaking of because he wants his match in Canada, and I thought this would be a good time to ask, the reactions of the Canadians to WWE stars, the bad guys get cheered, the good guys get booed. Where were you in all that? Because you were very pro-American. Were you booed or cheered in Canada? I think I was kind of booed in Canada. Canada is a hard market to figure out. You know, it's like anything else. If you went out there and you, if you said politics, if I said that, who's the prime minister of Canada? Trudeau. Mm. Well, if I went out and probably badmouth him, I'd probably get cheered because he's he's like a Democrat in Canada, I think. So they'd probably uh, cheer me if I knocked him. And But I, I think if you attack them personally, like they're a bunch of hockey, goofy hockey fan drinking beer and never won a world's title or nothing or whatever, you know, if you attack the country like that, yeah, you'll get booed because you're attacking them personally and the area they live. So they will take that as a personal affront. So, but as far as I remember, I don't, I think it was lukewarm cheers and I don't know. It was a hard, it was a hard market to figure out. Okay. We'll uh, ask one more thing and then we'll shut down this podcast. What Um, I didn't like about Canada, just a minute. Okay. What I didn't like about Canada is getting in. (laughs) They look at you like they, I swear to God, you went through customs 
or I don't know what they call that. They look at you like you're coming in to rob something. They're like, and you're coming like, what are you doing here? And real serious too. Well, I'm here with WWE. Why? Because I work for them. What do you do? It's just question after question after question. Well, when are you going to leave? I don't know what to say. I'm asking you, sir, when you're leaving. I said three days. Why are you leaving in three days? It just goes on and on and on. I said, I guess I don't have any more things I got to do here. I guess. I don't know. And then they finally, this is their last move. They take their little stamper and they go, and look straight at you like, I'm seeing through you, buddy. You're up to something. Then they just, they don't hand it to you. They kind of pitch it at you a little bit. Very, very unfriendly, I might add, which is rare for Canada because most of the people in Canada are pretty friendly. Those immigration guys, they're not. And I'm thinking, damn, I wish the U.S. had a had something like this. We may keep these people from just walking across the border. You do. I mean, all right, the two times I've gone to America is you have to fill out this form, which is longer than war and peace. And some of the questions are so stupid. Like one of them is, and this is not quite a quote, but almost like it. Are you saying my, you... Country's, my country's immigration is a bunch of crap? <laughs> the TSA is. It's terrible. And one of the questions is, and I promise you, is have you ever been or are you currently a terrorist? <laughs> no. Yeah, it's, it's that overt. Or like, have you ever been a member of the Nazi party? It's like... Well, even if I have been, I wouldn't admit it on this form, obviously, you know. I have never heard that before in my life. I promise you, the Nazi one is verbatim. Have you ever been a member of the Nazi party? Can you verify this? (sighs) Can you go online and... Uh, Can you go online and verify it? Well, uh, after we wrap this email podcast it to up, me. After we wrap this podcast up, I'll promise you, I'll find out where it is. I'll see if I can find the form. It was it form. It's like ESTA or something like that form. And some of the questions are ridiculous. That is ridiculous. Yeah. If you were a terrorist, would you admit it? What What I'd do is a ticket, and then I'd scribble it out, like to give them, you know, half an idea that maybe I am a terrorist, but actually I don't want them to know. Yeah. Give them a fighting chance. I never heard that before. Man, I'll I'll find I'll find it for you. I'll promise I'll find it for you. I'll ask you one more question. We'll wrap up the okay, podcast. Okay, if you find it, I will put it on my Twitter. <laughs> I will. Right. Okay. Well, that's the challenge then. Um, last question. Sasha Banks and Naomi are returning to WWE supposedly very very soon. How would you handle that situation? And in a sense, how could you ever trust these two again because they just upped and walked out on your promotion while under contract? Well, if they're coming back, it's going to be a completely different contract. And that contract, I'm sure, will take into effect if they want to walk out without giving notice. And there's going to be some stipulations in there if they agree to them. There's going to be some stipulations. If you walk out, this is going to happen here, here, and here. I don't know if they're assigned that or not. But I would think, why would they even walk out anyway? Because where else are they going to go to work? Unless uh, Sasha, she had that. I I read an ungodly figure that she wanted $30,000 for a signing, which you can get. She can get if the signing of her autograph is worth $500 or $300. She can get that according to what her autographs are. 
but a vendor is going to bring her in. He has to see, I got to see, he got to make some money too. So he's not going to guarantee $30,000 if he doesn't think she's going to produce that. But I don't know what happened there, but I think if, if you're reading that, I think it's true. Because Triple H, if they talk to him, he's, he's going to, of course, he's going to sobby dom. And but what he's telling them in the truth, it's going to be completely different now. Because we have a different creative. We'll listen to you now. You have a good idea, we'll use it. I think that's what they want to hear. I think they want to hear, and any performer wants to hear that. If you have a good idea, please give it to me and we'll use it. Because, you know, who books somebody better than the person that's writing it down? And even though it's some, if you ever give an angle like that, you have to give the before and then where it can lead you to. Because if it's all put me over and put me over and I win this and I win that. Yeah, but where's it going? Where's it going in six months? That's how we're going to make money off this. So your idea Oh, we can do that. But where's the other idea that connects you to somebody else? But I think, I think talent, they have enough sense and enough uh, experience to figure that out. But can you trust them? I think you can trust them. I think it was one of those. That was the first uh, clink or the crank in the armor that we knew that the backstage is in turmoil. So when that happened, and that set in motion all this other stuff too. So, I am going to wrap up this podcast quite quickly as well because I'm very keen to find out this form that I know I've clicked. I know I've checked that I'm not a Nazi on it. So I've okay. got to find. I've got to find this form now because I've, I've and uh, and not the next time, but in two weeks. Tune back in in two weeks, and we're going to verify this. Absolutely, uh, or hopefully Dutch will on Twitter today if I can find it quickly. Oh, I will. I'll oh, do it right now. I will uh, I will do the plugs and Tales from a Dirt Road on Amazon by Dutch Mantel, The World According to Dutch by Dutch Mantel, both on Amazon. I've got books as well. Uh, I can't be bothered picking them up. I've dropped them somewhere. And if you wanna if you wanna email me, dirty Dutch Mantel with two L's at gmail.com, I usually I usually respond back. Mm-hmm. And what else is there? iTunes, five stars, and that's pretty much it. Uh, oh, yeah, and YouTube. Storytime with Dutch Mantel, the YouTube channel. Please go there for all your visual uh, Dutch Mantel clips and content that you all love so much. Uh, but for now, thank you very much for watching, and thank you, Dutch, for entertaining us once again. See you next week.